Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm so close, I can take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. Over it a little bit, but if the, the U.S. dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency, what's next? Like we're seeing what happened then, with, with BRIC or BRICS to not to preclude South Africa from that. What would happen with don't that? Open, don't open that can of worms because we've been talking about this de-dollarization theory on our channel for months now. And it is true that the world is becoming de-dollarized. Yes, kind of. There's more trade happening in non-dollar denominated uh, uh, currencies. So you're getting oil deals done in renminbi or Chinese Chinese uh, uh, renminbi or, or, or stuff like that. Chinese won. Or whatever, or Russian ruble or, or whatever you want to call it. But ultimately, that Chinese one is still pegged to the US dollar. Now, is de-dollarization happening? It's a process that will take many, 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 many years. Yeah. Yeah. But what is the alternative? So, okay, cool. We decided, we all decided we don't want to be part of the US dollar. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to China? You think China's a better option than the United States? Look, maybe the U.S. isn't perfect, but let me tell you, China's not much of a better option. I don't think you want to be in the South African currency. It hasn't got a great track record. You certainly don't want to be in the Turkish lira. So where, where do you, you, you want to be in the Russian currency? So the problem is that the, the dollar right now is the best of a bad bunch. But, and in order for de-dollarization to happen, what you need is you need for there to be a better option. Because otherwise... As capitalists, people will hold on to their money and say, even though this is bad, that option over there is a little bit worse. It's still government counterparty risk. Yeah. Now, look, we've taken the orange pill. So for us, we see Bitcoin and we look at Bitcoin and say, look, you need to have a certain percentage of a portfolio in a neutral money that's not linked to any country that's linked to an algorithm and a mathematical formula. But other than that, and again, I put the question to you guys and say, if there is de-dollarization, and you guys are forced to de-dollarize, where are you going to put your money? Yeah. but but when And the you, answer is you're going to rather be in US dollars. Yeah, when you go back, and I, I agree, by the way, and I think that we are definitely in the process of de-dollarization. That's, that's without question. And the dollar is absolutely losing its reserve currency status. But that doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen over years. That happens over decades. decades. And if you go back to the last world reserve currency, the British pound, that started losing its dominance in the 1920s. When they came in in 1944 in Bretton Woods, that was just kind of the icing on the cake, right? And so what you see is you never have a global reserve currency that is implemented by decree, that you have a king or a Putin or whatever come in and say, from now on, we are using this BRICS new currency. What happens, it's, bo it's always bottoms up. So those entities within that economic system say, hey, we want to do more business with the United States, going back to the 1920s, right? Because the U.S. is growing and growing and growing. We have more business. We have more customers there. So we want to hold more, more dollars on our balance sheet. And as the U.S. economy grows as a percentage of global GDP, so does the use of the dollar. And that's how it happens. So the BRICS or Chinese yuan or whatever, yes, over the long run, it will overtake the dollar, but it will only do so as that, uh, that economy overtakes the United States economy as far as a percentage of global GDP. So I saw a chart of uh, GDP of the G7 versus GDP of BRICS. Mm. And if you look at the GDP of the G7, it's a chart that goes like this. 
And if you look at the GDP of BRICS, it's a chart that's going like this. Yeah, but, so, well, the trend is there, but still, as a percentage, yeah. it still heavily favors the G. So I don't know if you've got if you've got that chart. It was a tweet by Gabor Gerbach, Gerbach I think is his name, um, and he shows the chart that does that and that. And it, I mean, the trend you can see of when you look at it in isolation, it's nothing. But if you look at it in 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 um, on, over a long period, it's actually quite a scary chart because BRICS is going up and the, and the and the G7 yep. is going down. And the two crossed a long time ago, kind of, kind of like that. I also saw some stats that showed the GDP of China relative to the GDP of the U.S. forecast for 10 years from now. And let me tell you, it's scary because the rate of acceleration in China versus the decline in it versus the, the U.S. is it's, it's a very – there we go. So that, that's, the, that's the line that I was talking about. The red line is the BRICS countries. The blue line is the G7. And that's GDP. And that's going from 1995 to, 20, to, to 2025. Now, the lines have crossed. Okay, you were talking about people wanting to hold the currency of the economy that was growing yeah, in GDP. I'm, just, I'm trying to add on my glasses. There's your number. There's, <laughs> there, there's your chart. There, there's your chart. You've got the BRICS countries growing in GDP. Yeah. You've got the G7 going down. The biggest yeah. economy in so, the G7 is is the U.S. Yeah, so the only other equation is that uh, dollar-denominated debt, which is future demand for dollars, and how rapidly, you know, or looking at another chart of global uh, debt denominated in dollars outside of the United States, as you start to see that decline from, let's say, 70% down to mm. 65 you're seeing the dollar lose reserve status in real time. But, but what the mistake people make here is they when they look at this uh, equation and probabilities is they only focus on dollars being on the asset side of the balance sheet and they forget that dollar liability is on that other side and that creates future demand for those dollars and if the banking system contracts if we have a global slowdown and economic depression those dollars are going to be harder to come by now people say that oh my gosh the fed's going to print money and the feds and we're going to do all this money printing that's fine but how do those dollars get outside the united states you see, the way they get outside the United States is through the trade deficit. Well, that's fine. That's $1.2 trillion per year. But you're looking at a global economy that needs $100 trillion or that has $100 trillion in it. You know, so that's just a drop in the bucket. So um, uh, it, it's – go ahead. Just try and look for um, – I'm just trying to think. There's, there's another chart we could actually show you. What percentage of countries are holding U.S. dollars as part of their global reserve or something like that? And what you'll see is that over time it has declined. Yeah, but that's central banks. So I, central banks. Yeah, you, yeah, I, I agree. But I think you really got to look at the private sector there. And then sure. to, to do that, that's why I like looking at yeah. that, uh, that debt because it includes the, the debt on the balance sheet of the private sector. So I think what we can agree on is that de-dollarization should happen. Yeah, the and it is happening. And it, it is happening. happening. The problem is that there is no viable alternative currency right now that could displace the dollar. So if you, as I say, in order for de-dollarization to happen, you've got to have a viable alternative. You're basing it on trade. Right now, there is no BRICS currency. And if there was one united BRICS currency, maybe we'd see yeah. a different story. Yeah, and you've got to have something that interrupts the network. I mean, I know you're a crypto guy, so you know how important networks are. Well, that's... And, and there, there's, there's never been a more powerful network than the dollar. Never, correct. never, ever, yeah, ever. When correct. you include the euro dollar system and the global banks that are on dollars, so how do you you penetrate that? You know, that's that's. I just pulled up the, the the growth level of BRICS versus GDP maybe ahead, mm -hmm. but size wise, it's not yet. Population yeah, wise, obviously, BRICS obviously, is obviously, obviously. Yeah, that's BRICS what I was, is that's much. What I was saying, I just yeah, no, see the uh, that's why I wanted to find it. BRICS <laughs> is yeah. size of population. It's not even close. No, no, no. But no, no, no. in 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 regards to GDP. 
the G7 still has uh, brick speed. But growth is exponential. Growth is exponential. Growth is you can't. You can. By the way, the one that is going to drive it even, and they're not going to slow. I don't yeah. think it's going to slow down anytime soon. I think India is going to continue to to do what they're doing. But this conversation leads to gold in my mind. Yeah. Uh, here's an article from Forbes. Why gold is a good investment right now may be set for a new record price. Gold prices are approaching it, their all-time high. With a 10% increase this year, driven by investors seeking a safe haven asset amid economic uncertainty, UBS predicts gold could surpass its record price, setting a target of 2200 per ounce by next March, citing factors such as weakening U.S. dollar, banking sector stress, debt ceiling concerns, easing interest rate expectations, and the likelihood of a recession. Gold's price surge is primarily influenced by macro variables rather than supply and demand fundamentals. UBS analyst Cleve Ruckert notes that gold's price is driven by factors like U.S. real estate and the strength of the U.S. dollar. The surge in gold price is unique as it is unrelated to its case. So use case. What do you think is going to be happening with gold? Well, uh, I think it's a question of timing, right? So if you say is it five years or is it the next five months, uh, I'll go ahead and start by saying that I think everyone should own gold, and I don't really see it as an investment. I just see it as insurance. So regardless of the price, I always put it 10% of my portfolio because I don't care if the price goes up or down. It's just purchasing power. It's, it's that insurance policy. Now, if you say the next five months, I would say my base case is that gold actually goes down, believe it or not, because I think that it's overbought. And if you look at history, going back to COVID or the GFC, when you have a crisis situation, gold actually goes down. Because it's the only thing on the balance sheet that these big funds can sell. It's the only thing that has a bid because it's doing its job, right? So if you go back to Lehman Brothers, you see that gold just crashes. And then once rates get down to zero and the market says, okay, we, we've, we've kicked the can down the road, as Pat was saying, because we did all this, we'll call it quote-unquote money printing, then they, gold rips higher, absolutely rips higher. And it did the exact same thing during COVID. So if you say the next five months, I'd say there's a, a my base case is that gold actually trades lower. Uh, but if you say over the next three years or the next five years, I think it goes way, 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 way higher. Uh, but I don't know in real terms, definitely in nominal terms. But uh, I, I, again, that's what the caveat of I think anyone should always own gold pretty much at any price because it's not an investment, it's insurance. I think I agree with you. 100%. I don't really care about the next five months because that's not an investment horizon for me. Yeah. But I think in the long term, gold certainly does continue to go up um, because of exactly what we said. We're de-dollarizing because we've got nothing to de- because we're de-dollarizing, we've got nothing else to de-dollarize in. Right now, there's only one other neutral network which is not owned by any of the players, right? And that neutral network is gold, mm. right? Like, if you think about Currencies. Currencies are all linked to a specific country. Gold is not necessarily linked to a specific country. Right. It's right. the second network. Now, the law of network effect says that it's it's called Barabasi's law. And I can I can maybe break down network effects, but the law of network effect states that a in the absence of regulatory interference, users will flock to the busiest nodes. So, what's the busiest node? The busiest node is the U.S. dollar today. So let's just think about what network effects actually are. If a network is defined as anything where each individual user increases the value of the network exponentially. Okay, so let's just quickly define that. If we talk about WhatsApp, which is a telecommunications network, if there are two people on the network, myself and Adam, the maximum number of calls I can make on the network is I can call you and you can call me. Two people can make calls, there's two calls on the network. If we add Patrick to the network, I can call you, you can call me. I can call Patrick, he can call me. 
and he, Patrick can call you and you can call Patrick. So now there's six. There's six. So we've increased the value of the network exponentially. Just by one person. Mm. Exponentially. So the first thing is that networks continue to grow at an accelerating rate exponentially, which is the most powerful effect in the world. That's why, that's why networks are so powerful. That's why Google is so powerful and Amazon so powerful and Uber so powerful is because they are all networks. That's the only thing that they all have in common that, that is amazing. Now, the second rule of networks is in, in the absence of any regulatory interference, users will flock to the busiest node. So I always say, if you're landing in a new country and you've got to decide whether you're going to go onto WhatsApp or some other chat messenger, you're going to go to WhatsApp because everybody's using WhatsApp. That's the busiest network node. So it's the same thing with, with, with money because money is the ultimate network. Mm. The US dollar is the network with the most users and therefore people will flock to that network. The second biggest network is gold. And so you have to hold, you have to hold gold because of the network effect that it has in, in the monetary system. And that's why I agree with you. I don't have 10% because I think each individual based on their risk tolerance yeah, may I be agree. slightly different. But you have to hold gold as part of your portfolio. Now, to me, I see an extension of gold, which is digital gold. And to me, that's Bitcoin. And so I take some of that allocation and I put that, some of that allocation into Bitcoin. Yeah, I was in Turkey a couple months ago. And uh, I wanted to spend, we all know that they've gone through this hyperinflation. So I spent a few days there. I had a tour guide. This gal is probably 30 years old. And I was obviously asking That's every- you call them nowadays? What's that? <laughs> Poor guys? I like it. My wife should only find out <laughs> yeah. I have a tour guide here in Miami. <laughs> yeah. All right. There's, but, no, there's uh, no tell her it's an end. Yeah. So, so this weekend I was in South Beach hanging out with a couple tour guides uh, down there. Anyway, yeah. go ahead, George. But I, I was very inquisitive with pretty much everyone I met. You know, I said, how are you guys dealing with this inflation? And they're actually dealing with it very well. But here was this was their strategy. What they do is they get paid in lira. At the end of the week, they pay all their bills. And anything they have left over, they immediately turn it into dollars or gold. Yeah. Exactly what he was saying. And then I went through the airport, that brand new airport they have that's gorgeous. And on my way out, I just happened to get a coffee, you know, and they opened the cash register. And I just happened to look in that cash register in Turkey, and all they had in there were US dollars. Well, let me tell you what happens when, when you can't get US dollars, because the, the flow happens. First of all, they use US dollars, but then the problem is that everybody buys up all the US dollars and there's not enough US dollars. And then you know what they do. That's the short squeeze I'm talking about. Well, no. They start using airtime data and minutes. So in, oh, right, in right, South right. Africa, for example, because we're in Zimbabwe where you can't get dollars, what you trade in is you trade in minutes of airtime. So call minutes or gigs of data. Yeah, they, they do that in Ecuador yeah. as well. But I want to be very clear for the viewers, and I think you might, might echo these thoughts. I'm saying that the dollar, if we have a big crisis situation, you know, there's that flight to safety and the liquidity issues we talk about, the dollar goes up. But I'm talking about going up against other fiat currencies. I am not talking about the dollar going up against goods and services in the United States. And this is a hard concept for people to understand. They have to look at the dollar as two separate currencies. So inside the United States, we can have 10% inflation while the dollar is going up by 10% outside of the United States relative to other fiat currencies, such as the euro, the Turkish lira, et cetera. And people really need to understand that concept. That, that makes sense. That, that's good to make that distinction. Okay, so next story. Let's talk about Musk here. Musk hires an ex-NBC Universal ad mm -hmm. chief, yeah, Linda Yukarno, to be Twitter CEO, and people lose their minds. Yeah, so. Yeah. 
Uh, this is a CNBC story. Linda Yocarino, the formal, former global uh, advertising chief of NBC Universal, has been hired as a new CEO to Twitter. Musk confirmed the hire in a tweet stating that Yocarino would focus on business operations while he focused on product design and new technology. Her appointment uh, comes after Musk uh, announced his intention to step down as CEO of Twitter. She brings extensive experience and relationship in the advertising industry, which could help Twitter regain advertisers who have withdrawn due to offensive content issues. Musk acquired Twitter last year and implemented changes that led to a loss of ad revenue. Ikari knows role will be crucial in building, rebuilding relationship with advertisers and improving the platform's reputation. Her departure from NBC Universal is immediate, and Mark Marshall will serve as the interim chairman of the company's advertising and partnership group. Is this a good or a bad they, look. they didn't even did they put the fact that she's huge in the World Economic Forum? Yeah, yeah. She. Uh, did, I don't know if they, they put, put it here, article. but I think that's they, that's they, the right. They, they intentionally. So did what not do you so wait? So yeah. either one of you guys take the, take the lead on this one. I've, what are your thoughts I've on this? I've spent a lot of time speaking about it. I can I can I can spend two hours on the, on this topic. I'll tell you why. When I was at Harvard, the first thing they taught us around Elon Musk's in recruiting strategy was when he took over Tesla. When he took over Tesla, he didn't start Tesla. He took over Tesla from he had, he was an investor and he took yep. over Tesla. And they asked, what is the first hire Elon Musk makes when he moves into Tesla? Now, the question is, when you move into a new comp- a company that's failing and you're going to rescue it, what's the first hire that you make? So question, guys, what is the first hire that Elon Musk makes when he joins Tesla? It's just him. Who does he, wh- who's the first person he hires? Probably an accountant, lawyer. <laughs> a, recru- a recruiter, an HR I'm manager. Say HR is what HR. I'm going to say. HR, right? yeah. okay, cool. He's got the HR manager. What's the next person that, that they hire? Ops. Someone to make cars, engineering, head of engineering, okay. right? Where does he get this head of engineering from? Now, this is, where the, this is the mind shift that I couldn't understand here. Where does Elon Musk... Imagine that you're going to set up a car. You're going to go and take on all the car manufacturers in the world. You need someone to help you build cars. Where do you hire that someone from? Someone from the big three? Yeah. Which one? Which, which, which are what? Ford, GM. Ford, GM. Chrysler. Toyota or Nissan. Yeah. Nissan's actually. Okay. Nissan no. is massive. And no, no, no. Elon Musk hired the head of engineering from, from Google or something, yeah. from software. Why? Because you never hire from the industry that you're in. You, you hire from the industry that you think is going to disrupt the mm. industry that you're in. Now, this for me, he hired someone from the old guard... I mean, he's, he's out to disrupt media, and he's hiring a CEO from the old car. That's, that's not an Elon Musk hiring strategy. So then I analyzed this thing even further, and I said, hold on a second. What is he doing here? And I think I understand what he's doing here. The power of Twitter is actually the product and the algorithm. Like, if you think about what Twitter is, Twitter is the product and the algorithm, and it's not actually the CEO. And I actually think that Twitter would operate better if it didn't have a CEO. I think if Twitter just operated by itself without a CEO, Twitter would be a much better platform. We'd, we'd get much better content with a lack of uh, with a lack of 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 um, oversight, of oversight and, and and policies, right? And so I think what he's done here is he's gone and hired somebody that is the exact complement to him. So you think about like Elon Musk. The first thing he did when he walked in, he pissed off all the advertisers. He pissed off every single one of the advertisers. Did some damage there. Broke it down. He did a lot of damage with the staff. Like he walked in there, he walked in there with the kitchen sink. You know, as a CEO, no matter who you are, you don't want to walk into a company with this kitchen sink. He did big damage in the, with the kitchen sink. I mean, you know, people may walk around smiling and some people may have tolerated it, but 
that the message was everyone is fireable. So damage with the advertisers, damage with the internal staff. So now he needs to hire someone that is going to fix the mess that he made. So he hires, he hires Linda. She's great. She was head of, of partnerships and advertising at NBC. She managed a $100 billion book or whatever, however big the book was. She's famous for combining all the sales teams of all the channels, which means that he's going to make it profitable because she's got a track record doing it. But again, what is the power of Twitter? The power of Twitter is tech and product. The CEO in a private company called Twitter, it's a private company, Elon Musk owns it. The CEO is not, she's not the CEO. The CEO is the biggest shareholder. I mean, you can be the CEO, but you got a, you got a big shareholder. Yeah, but the, I think the elephant in the room is he might as well have hired Klaus Schwab. N- n- not really, because she's actually, she's, she's, she's a World Economic Forum, but on a specific agenda, which is um, The Great workplace. Reset Agenda? No, it's work, it's, a, it's, a, it's the new work <laughs> the environment. The Jubilee. The new work environment. She was also on one of the councils for Trump. I think she was on sports yes, and fitness or something. Yeah, yeah. So she's quite balanced in her views. She's an advertising person. He needs an advertising person. She's a brilliant people's person. She managed a team of 2,000 people. He's not a brilliant people's yeah, person. Yeah. She's, he's hiring the compliment. But the, again, the thing that baffles me the most is that Elon Musk is known to hire disruptors and not known to hire disrupted. Yeah, and now, I don't, I don't, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, my if I my, agree my with view you. is that the, the the global elite, especially the World Economic Forum, is, yeah. mal, is they're a Malthusian cult. Let's just call a spade a spade. So you're saying that oh, she's great, but she's just from this Malthusian cult. But I'm don't saying, worry about I'm that saying in she's this not, case, in this case, don't judge a book by the cover. I think let's give her a chance because everyone's yeah. reading two lines in her CV. And already judging her by that, I think. So how do you hire somebody then? How do you hire somebody? You don't judge them by uh, their resume. You don't I, judge I mean, them. Pat, I think this is no, a great question I, for you. I do, but but hold on, Twitter's not Twitter's. You hire them by the resume, but you also have a face-to-face discussion, and you judge their intellectual, their intelligence and their emotional intelligence. Yeah. Twitter and all of us are judging by five newspaper headlines and 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 bios and stuff like that. I'm not super excited about it. I was super surprised by this hire, but I'm kind of made a resolution that I'm not going to judge a book by, by, by its cover. And again, I say to you, I don't think that the CEO of Twitter is such an important position. I think the more yeah. important position is the product manager and the tech guy, which he's keeping, and the owner of the company, which is a 100% shareholder, who's also the only person who can fire the CEO. Yeah, I think there's two options here. Number one, she's like a secret libertarian that was just using the World Economic Forum for, uh, uh, you know, for a network. Right, or she, or Elon Musk is just sick and tired of Twitter. And he's like, I get, I got to get back over to Tesla. And even though she's part of the World Economic Forum, and even though I'm coming out and saying that I'm a, 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 a leader in free speech, I know that she's got all the connections, and she's going to keep us from going bankrupt. So or, I'm just going to hold my nose and hire her anyway. So I think this is a great question. Or for dead holders. You know, since you have so much experience as an entrepreneur. Uh, would you hire someone? You know, if they came in and, and you said, hey, this World Economic Forum, I don't know about that. And they said, well, look, at I'm a, I'm a secret libertarian. I was on Trump's board for the physical education. Look at the people that I follow on Twitter. They're all you know, Ron Paul and whatnot. Would you give her a pass or would you be suspicious enough to say, well, I just I just don't trust this gal. What do you think? So so first of all, Elon Musk always reminds me how broke I am, you know, when when, when <laughs> comparing backwards. I talked about this this week in Dallas. And it's great because there's always a guy that you can compete with in the marketplace. But I don't know the whole story. I'm gonna give it to you from the outside perspective, from my POV. So why did he buy Twitter? Actually 
answer the question on why he bought Twitter. Twitter wasn't the best investment for you to buy. You could have bought hundreds of companies better than Twitter in regards to investment. You know, like, you know, if you were to sit there and say he could have bought a complimentary company to Tesla to bring him in and do X, Y, Z. He could have bought so many different companies. So why do you buy Twitter? He bought Twitter because he was concerned of freedom of speech with all the stuff that was going on. It was a cause-driven thing that he was doing. Okay? No problem. Then, after he bought Twitter, we didn't yet know, because he originally bought 9.2%, whatever the whole Morgan Stanley announcement. You know, Elon is now 92 But he doesn't want to be on the board. He just kind of wants to be on the outside. And, oh, it's going to be all right. Next thing you know, no, he wants to buy the whole thing. But he's not going to be firing the CEO. Now nah, it's not really going to be happening. You know, you Professor Galloway comes up. Watch, he's not going to close. All he's trying to do is manipulate the stock, and he's trying to hurt them. No, he ends up closing, and he wants, ah, I don't think it's going to really, he's not going to daily operate. No, he was responding back to everybody, customer service, you can get a hold of him. Oh, my God, Elon just retweeted me. Oh, my God, Elon just responded to me. Oh, my God, Elon just liked my tweet. Everybody's like, damn, this guy, how the hell is he doing this? Does he sleep at night? He's at the home office. He's doing, this is, so the whole thing was cause-driven, and then the messaging was, for us to get away from relying on advertisers. Then you go hire somebody whose strength is in advertising. You're confusing the audience on why you bought the company in the first place. So to me, the biggest confusion is, why'd you buy Twitter? If you bought it because you wanted to be that person, then this may not be the best person to hire. So ask the question, why? Well, she recognized Larry Fink from BlackRock. What a great job he's doing. And we need to pay attention to ESG. And I don't really know if there's anything really fake news. Fake news is really from the people that are the non-journalists. The true journalists from the mainstream media, they don't have any kind of fake news. Seriously, that's against his philosophy of what he's doing. So the the, the messaging while we sat there, we just hired an editor-in-chief and he's saying, so, you know, what is success for me here? As a success for you here is for us to not need sponsors and advertisers. Right now, we have three major gold companies that are bidding to be the main gold sponsor for uh, uh, for the brand. And we're doing hardcore investigation on who these guys are. And they're putting some real numbers behind it. We're not talking like a multiple six. We're talking about a real sponsor. But guess what? Here's how we don't do it, okay? This is who we are. This is how we're going to sell it. You can't get to tell us what not to talk about, all this other stuff. These are bylaws on what we do, right? Why? I don't want to rely on a person telling me what to do. I'm in a negotiation right now of a, Tom, you know the story of a, uh, a sports team, okay, that that uh, I'm working on potentially. Anyways, so we've gone back and forth, okay? This has been going on for how long now? 12 months, 11 months. I think it's the one-year anniversary of the kickoff of those negotiations. Every <laughs> background check you can think about has been done on me. And a cabinet Just search. to be a <laughs> professional minority owner of a well-known sports team that we're talking about, right? One of the four major sports that we're talking about. <sighs> you know where it's at right now? Here's where it's at right now. Why this could happen and it doesn't happen. It's... Listen, we see where you are with your positions. We don't like our owners to say stuff like this. And we don't. And then I have to go have a meeting with them right now. Literally, I'm having a meeting mm. with them next week. Okay, Because wow. they watch your content. And, and guess what my meeting is going to be about, what I'm going to say. I'm telling you I needed an email that if I become an owner, you're not going to tell me what to say and what not to say. Because I left Iran, so mm. I don't have to fear freedom of speech. And I can tell you. And I made money. 
So I don't have to be controlled what I have to say and what I don't have to say. When I was running an insurance company, I was getting on stage talking about certain things. People were saying, you can't be saying stuff like that. Go to another company. You can't be talking about that kind of stuff. I totally get it. So, so for me, my concern here is you went selling this philosophy of not relying on advertisers and then you hired this person. You know how weird that is? It's kind of like this. It's like saying, you know, hey, we're going to go and be a uh, – the, the way we're going to win a, a Super Bowl championship is by the Pittsburgh Steelers model. Let's have a strong defense. Baltimore Ravens, strong defense. NFL draft becomes first six rounds. Each person you pick is all an offensive player, wide receiver, running back, quarterback, running back, fullback. Wait a minute. You missed after that linebacker. That guy's a linebacker, defensive. You missed, what are we doing here? So it, it's like, I think that's the biggest disconnect the audience. Do you think he just got in over his head? Like initially that was his game plan, but then when he actually looked yeah. at the revenue coming, he's like, if I keep doing this, I'm Two going things. bust. And Two that things. could jeopardize Tesla. So, okay, Be- that, that was answer. all fine and dandy, but now the rubber's met the road, and i got to hire someone that's going to keep us afloat. Before, before you answer this, let's just consider two things. Go for it. He's got debt holders. People have debt. He, he, he didn't put the money in sure. himself. He has debt holders. Yeah. The debt holders are maybe looking at this and going, look, Elon, you can't be treating the advertisers like this. Ultimately, you've got to repay our debt. What's your monetization model? Then 2024 is a very interesting year, right? What happens in 2024? Election. And Olympics. Okay. Two of the biggest advertising events in the world. Two of the biggest advertising events in the yeah, world. But let me get this straight. So, do you realize what? Do you realize what they said the other day? With uh, uh, did you see the Richard Dreyfus interview when they said what it takes to win an Oscar nowadays? Did you hear about what it takes to be nominated for Academy Awards today? What you have to do as a company? Did you guys read this article or not? No. And you heard what Richard Dreyfus said. Okay, can you pull this article? I just want to read this to people for for them to realize. Go go to news. Go to news, and the article will pop up. It's New York Post or Washington Times. Pick either one of them. Uh, 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 anyways, I have it right here. So I'm guessing the, this has a high DEI ESG in type order score. for you, in order for you to be considered, in order for you to be considered for uh, Academy Awards now. Okay, you have to have a certain number of actors in the movie that are uh, 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 part of the LGBTQ community. Oh, you need to meet a... I'll read the article to you. So Hollywood uh, New Diversity... Hollywood New Diversity... Uh, let me just close this up. Wow. A Hollywood New Diversity rules are making one actor sick. Legendary actor Richard Drive has condemned the inclusivity changes that will be implemented for next year's Oscars, saying the new standards make me vomit. This is an art form. It's also a form of commerce, and it makes money, but it's an art he says this in an interview with PBS, firing line with Margaret Hoover, and no one should be telling me as an artist that I have to give it to the latest, most current idea of morality is. Richard Dreyfus goes off and says, what we are risking, what are we risking here? Are we really risking hurting people's feelings? You can't legislate that, and you have to let life be life. And I'm sorry, I don't think there is a minority or a majority in the country that has to be catered like that. And it goes into breaking down what they're looking like. On-screen representation needs to be a certain percentage. And, you know, it's classified at least one lead character from an underprecedented racial or ethnic group having at least 30% of secondary roles be from an, uh, two underprecedented groups or mainstream. 
do you see how much bullshit of a you know story this is where they're going with this right no. so the the categories each pertaining to different aspects of movie production would require new diversity measures to be met on screen representation creative leadership pro- project team industry access opportunities audience advancement okay so now go to olympics what do you think is going to happen with olympics now what do you think is going to happen oh, with yeah, Olympics? The, the teams, that, the teams but, are going to have to have that. But that, no, but that's why. But that's why I think he's hired someone that's the opposite of him. Someone who, no, who's head of partnerships. No, but she's head of partnerships. But the, she's. She, but she's going to come in and she's going to say the Olympics said they're going to give us fifty million dollars if we're able to recognize transgender as such and such, or if we can shadow ban uh, Patrick Bet David. Yeah, and or. Yeah. No, I, I'm, no, I don't. I don't think we're saying the same thing. I'm saying in the Olympics, Nike are going to want to advertise. Adidas are going to want to advertise. All the sports brands. Those are, are ESG companies. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're all going to want to. Adver- Those are all ESG companies, buddy. This is a war. This is not a regular thing we're talking about here. To to take a stand. I'm not a Rumble guy. I'm, we do our stuff on uh, YouTube. Yeah. But I love what Rumble's doing. I think Rumble is necessary. I'm not a Spotify guy. We put our stuff on Spotify, mm. but we're not like going out there saying, "Let me I'll buy Spotify stock." Spotify is necessary when they protected Rogan. What he did with uh, with uh, uh, Twitter, he scared the crap out of everybody in Silicon Valley. He took a company, Twitter, and then from there there was talks. Maybe he buys CNN. People started shivering. They could no longer play games. Tucker goes to Twitter. Now you want to go out there and start giving somebody like this that's going to go to advertisers and say, hey, we could get $100 million from these guys, but here's what we need to do. We need to make sure we do this, mm. and we need to make sure. But do no, you, but do you think? I, I think, I think, this but is, I think but, that's yin and yang. I think he's the one that's going to protect the we're not budging, like etc., cop, etc. She's the one that that is good at partnership. She goes to Nike and says, "Look, we can't really do that, but you know what we can do." Everything at the end of the yeah. day ends with two words: "We'll see." Okay, yin and yang. No, everything's going to be "we'll see." Okay, we'll see. But to me. You didn't have to go get somebody from World Economic Forum. You could have gotten somebody from a lot of different places. But do you think she, she could have been boxes. part of that? If, like, you know, I could be part of the World Economic Forum and do it for completely different reasons, right? And I still keep my principles and my libertarian views. I could be doing it just to get inside. You know, you keep your friends closer and your or your your enemy, your friends closer and your enemies closer. Do you think that she could be kind of a a libertarian at heart? Or yeah. a free speech enthusiast, well, no, but, have the but, same worldview, but was just in that for George, her job. George, maybe you don't. I'm playing devil's advocate. I please keep playing devil's advocate. I want you to keep playing. Let me say my thoughts on this on responding here. Okay, yes, you could have hired your president. That somebody's from there. Your COO, no problem. CTO, fine. Okay. CMO, cool. CEO, no, because CEO has to buy into your philosophy and the vision. You, I don't think you can do it with your CEO. Again, guys, like I said, Musk always reminds me how broke I am because the guy's made a lot of money. I, I'm a big fan of what he's done. We talk about him in a very uh, 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 respectful way in a place like this. But I don't think you can get a CEO that doesn't fully, that goes out there and says fake news doesn't exist and thinks Larry Fink and BlackRock is doing a great job with ESG and thinking ESG and DEI, all this stuff are great things that are being done. No, you, you're 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 going to cause concern in certain people that got there and start you know started being active on Twitter because they finally realized I'm not going to get. And after Twitter files one, two, three, four, five, how many times do we realize who's being this and who's being that? So now, guess who's going to be doing the hiring? Who's going to be hiring the people in the company? Elon? No, she is. Who's she going to hire? Who's she going to bring in? Okay, so so who now? If I'm the CEO, I run a company. I run multiple companies now. 
So who, who's, do I get approval on who to hire? No, I'm hiring the person. I don't go to the chairman of the board. This is who we're going to bring as CMO. Yeah, and you fast forward two years, and Twitter is Twitter of 2019. That's the point. It's I mean, back to swamp again. So, Hold on. You're not, you're not considering two things. First of all, it's a private company with a, with a majority, if not 100% of the shares held by, by one individual. In a private company, you have a CEO, but the real boss is the owner. It's not a public company where there's, there's a board. It's Elon. Elon, whatever Elon says eventually goes. She knows that. The second thing is, he is extreme on the one side. When you're extreme on the one side, you piss a lot of people off, internally and externally. What's the best strategy to mitigate that? Bring in the yang. Bring in the yang and let... If it's play. only about money, if it's only about money, Rand, yeah. if it's only about money, and you were doing this to make money and figure out a way to increase your $44 Agreed. billion, dollars, you should have looked elsewhere. You could have made money in different places. Going this direction and compromising the real threat that we have with ESG, DI, DEI, all of these things that's going on in media, people are sitting there looking at candidates that are criminals, yet uh, the real criminals are the ones that are being sold as angels. It's kind of a weird time we're living in. So th th this guy who did this, now again, I've hired people, and from the outside, people have bitched about who I hired, and they say, I can't believe you hired that person. How could you pick her, and how could you pick him, and why'd you make her the CEO? You think she can be the president? You don't know what you're doing. Totally get it. I get that. But, but my concern, if it was money, you should have bought a different company. If it was a cause, you really wanted to be that cause guy, then stick to the cause and hire somebody that's a CEO that's more be more a registered independent coming from a different space who's the real who's the real ceo of a private company in a technology sector just quickly is it is it the owner plus the cto plus the project manager or is it the appointed ceo ask the question again who is the real ceo of a private company that relies on this technology is it the owner plus who is also the cto and the product manager or is it the appointed ceo Who's the real CEO? I, I know what you're saying, but also on the flip side, George Soros just sold all his shares with Tesla. Public announcement. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. He's leaving, you know, uh, Tesla, and t Tesla's not in the best shape right now with all the criticism they're getting. And Tesla was at one point a trillion dollar company. So you're talking about a company that is calling left and right for Elon to go there and do this. This is not a guy that's you know just doing Twitter by himself and is going out there. Hanging out. This guy's, this guy's got a lot of stuff on his plate. So I do think when you bring somebody like this who is coming in, you, you know what her personality is like? Here's what her personality is like. I guarantee you in an interview she asked the question of Elon. I'm fully convinced she asked this question. Elon, you going to let me run the company? Or am I going to be one of your employees, one of your friends that you do everything through them? Or are you going to let me run this company? So I'm not leaving NBC Universal if you're not going to let me run the company. Zero to 100. What's the chance that she asked that question in the interview? 100. Okay, perfect. So guess what he's gonna, she's going to say? So what can we put in place for me to know you're going to let me run the company? There has to be an agreement, okay? So if he starts trying to impose she doesn't like it, we're going to hear about it within three to six months. If Great. Doesn't and, work out and, who, and who's the world going to side with? Well, him. The, with him. And that's the whole, that's the, that's the game here. I'm not, the I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but for, you know, there are a lot of different people that I'm sure he interviewed a lot of different people that uh, he could have gone through. Um, there are a few things that are philosophically against what he believes in.
and she doesn't think it's a big deal. Isn't Philosophically. One, isn't one of the philosophies in a company like this that if you really want to make it um, uh, neutral, then you've got to have someone very strong pulling left and someone very strong pulling right? No, I don't think so. I think there's one thing you don't have to be neutral in. I have no desire. Like, there's one thing we do when we hire people here. Mm. You know what it is? Here's, I'm not neutral about this. You're going to read a book every month and write a paper on it. Seriously? I'm not neutral about it. I had a person in the company that says, well, Patrick, this is, you remember this. This is too much. You know, people are stressed out. I said, nope, that person needs to leave. They don't read the book of the month. Agree. So what, you know what we did? We created in our bylaws, day one, when we're hiring, pre-hiring, agree to read a book every month and write a paper on it. You're serious? I haven't read a book for 20. I totally get it. If you're not going to do this, this isn't a company for you. Okay. Two. Here's what we believe in in valuetainment. What's that? I don't care if you're any ethnicity, any sex, but I care that you know that capitalism is the way to go. We don't sit here and say, well, we should have a couple communists here as well. And let's have a communist CEO run it. And let's see how valuetainment does. It's okay. Let's have a neutral because I'm so much of a capitalist. Let's bring a communist. No, you cannot compromise freedom of speech. But you're talking about a capitalistic company with capitalistic ideals. This is a different business. This is supposed to be a neutral platform which is not about being monetized. Yeah, but neutral, by definition, is freedom of speech. So Correct. if you've got someone that's way on the left and way on the right, I totally agree with you, but I they agree. still have to agree on free speech. Look, again, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of it. I've agreed not to judge a book by its cover. I'm just making the counter case here. Yeah. Having studied a lot of Elon's hiring decisions in the past, this one was one that truly surprised me, and th- uh, this is how I've rationalized it over the last couple of days uh, since it came out. Well, did you see I, Elon's I wouldn't have tweet? About when he hired her, did you actually see his tweet? No, what did he say? He basically said that she's going to be running business operations. And, I'm gonna be running and he's going to be running product design and technology. And together, they're going to turn it into X, the everything app. We talk about this all the time, where they're just more than a free uh, free speech platform. They want to be the the go-to everything app. Like, how, what, what do they have in China? What's the go-to app that they have there? We, uh, WeChat. Everything? It's WeChat. Exactly. That's so essentially what he wants to turn l- it into. Let's play a little game here. Yeah? Um how long is she going to last? Let's maybe all just write down on a piece of paper how long <laughs> is she going to last, and then let's meet again and see. How, yeah, how, I mean, basically, your argument is ends justify means, but then that goes back to what Pat was saying. It's 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 what's your priority here? Because initially, your priority was freedom of speech, and now all of a sudden, your priority is profit and growing the world's biggest app. So, who, so where where who, are we here, Elon? You know what what's your true objective? What happened? Elon passed that the one there was one Sunday where Elon tweeted something and he said, "If you post any links on your Twitter." which take people out of Twitter, that, was that, to, account, um, that account was going to be banned. It, it was to that one platform. It was Substack, yeah. But it wasn't only Substack. The word was where it is. The word was where it is. If you post any links to go outside of Twitter, what, what happens? Who is going to push back on Elon when he does shit like that? Because for one weekend, I shat myself because I use my, my Twitter to promote my YouTube. And I post links to my YouTube show as you guys post to your podcast. And I sat there and I thought, if this goes on, my account's getting banned here because every second tweet is, listen to my podcast, meet me here at, at Patrick but David show. Someone needs to push back because otherwise it's the Elon show. And you're saying that should be her. I'm saying, I'm saying her. if you were going to hire someone to push back, you want to hire someone that is push, pulling the other way and not someone that, it's not a business. It's a platform that is designed to remain neutral. I, I, I understand fully what you're saying. And I don't disagree that you need somebody that's going to do, uh, 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 you know, certain things. For example, okay, marrying a wife, what's more likely for the marriage to be catastrophic? Ready? 
Both are Christians. One is a communist, the other one is a capitalist. Or both are capitalist. One's a Christian, one's an atheist. What's more likely for the marriage to work out? What's more? Let me ask the question one more time, okay? They did a study on this? I'm going to ask the question. I want you to actually think about this, mm. okay? You got a husband and wife, both Christians. They met at a church. One is a full-blown capitalist. She believes, you know, in personal responsibility. Right. You can do something about it. The other is a communist, thinks rich people are greedy. They have character flaws. They're selfish. They marry each other. Or husband and wife marry. They both believe in capitalism. One's a Christian. One's an atheist. Which one is more likely to work out? So you're asking the level of idea of of uh, importance of what ideals. What is more is important, it... religion or philosophies of how to live life? I would say I think it depends on kids. Assuming there was no kids in the equation, I would say the atheist and the Christian have a better chance. What do you say, Tom? I think the atheist and the Christian have a better chance. If there's no kids, because I think that would get real complicated. I think I think it's different. And... I think that you're defined in hierarchies, and I think the hier- I think I mean I, don't, I haven't thought about it, but. I think you're defined as being male and then being of a certain religion and then being of a certain philosophy, I think. But I haven't thought about it long enough. My parents got married. They were both Christians. They both believed in Jesus. They both believed in God. Okay? My mother was a communist. My dad was a capitalist. I cannot tell you how catastrophic that was in a household Mm, and how confusing it was. I can't even describe it to you. What a hot mess it was. Okay? One believed rich people are greedy and they're terrible human beings. The other one believed poor people are lazy and they don't do anything to take full responsibility for themselves. They divorced twice in 20 years, okay? My parents, twice in 20 years, okay? In, in this case, the premise of what you brought everybody in was freedom of speech, was anti-ESG, was anti-DEI, I don't care about all the other stuff. That was the core values and principles. I, I don't care about all the other things that you do, but the values and principles has to be the same. I don't care what religion she is. I don't care what religion he is. I don't care what ethnicity. Philosophically, they're not on the same page. One believes fake news is only by others that are content creators, and he believes fake news can happen from mainstream media because he exposed everybody with the Twitter files. One believes that, uh, you know, Larry Fink and you know, all these guys, BlackRock and ESG, they're doing a good job for society because we need to really contribute. By and so the other guy's like, not for it. And now all of a sudden you, yeah, I, I mean, I don't to know. Take it, to so, take it to a, another level, yeah. one's pr- most likely an authoritarian, uh, a, a collectivist, and the other is an individualist. So, you know, how does that one pan out as well? So, listen, again, the, the, the great thing about this show is we, we debate topics and then we find out three, six, 12 months later who's right, who's wrong, and we're so comfortable with that. Nobody here is, you know, shooting for 100% free throw ratio. As long as we're shooting 80% plus, we're okay with that. If this is the 20% <laughs> that I miss, I'm very comfortable because I think Elon's an absolute so, stud of a guy. So I think that they get divorced. Uh, I think these two get divorced then, then what that's, then that's kind of what validates. I that. think. I think these yeah. two get divorced. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah th- this is not a marriage. What's your over under? I don't know because uh, it's uh, there's too. From many what th- standpoint? As a tourist he, guide he, or he, as a, <laughs> he's going to fire yeah, her and then hire Justin I, Trudeau? I think. I think. Um, <laughs> I think she lasts six to eighteen months. 
So I don't think she makes the over 18 month, and I think that Elon will tolerate her for the first six. Mm. But I might be wrong. All right, let's go to the next story here. CNN. I want to kind of talk about what's going on here with CNN. CNN boss Crick Lick facing fury of criticism within the company over Trump's town hall. We haven't yet responded to this story because we've been gone for about a week. So we have to kind of touch this story here, what happened. So he's facing criticism after the company brought in former President Donald Trump, a platform to spread lies. Keep in mind, spread lies and his conspiracy theories. During a town hall, the decision was widely spread, uh, criticized, with one staffer stating, I can't believe anyone thought this was a good idea. CNN's own media owner, Oliver, Dar- Oliver Darcy, reported on the backlash following the town hall, describing CNN and Chris Licht as facing a fury of criticism. The network, which has been trying to move away from its left-leaning coverage, was accused of, put- accused of putting moderator Caitlin Collins in a no-win situation despite the criticism Chris Lick defended the town hall and Collins' performance stating that they obtained Trump's answers and made significant news. He dismissed suggestions that Collins did not push back hard enough on Trump's claims and emphasized that the job is to get answers and hold the powerful accountable. Lick also praised Collins stating that she exemplified what it means to be a world-class journalist and asked tough, fair, revealing questions. Tom. Uh, did Chris Lake do a good job? Did he make the right decision having Trump on? And what are your thoughts with all these people losing their minds? Well, I don't like everything that's in Chris Lake's personal belief structure and platform, but he was brought into CNN to somehow bring it back to a more balanced credibility with the viewer. That was his mandate. We have to remember what was the mandate. Chris, we're off the edge here. We got to come back at least a little bit. You may be on a 1 to 10, we're a 9, but you got to get us back to like a 7. And you got to have something that um, gets us in a position where we can win some viewers back. And he got rid of Don, Don Lemon, and there's a bunch of things that happened. So I think what happened here is that he's trying to do that. And he was honestly, and by the way, you know, uh, once upon a time, there was an advertising comment that was made about CNN. And they says, man, our... You know, our revenue every quarter has sucked since they canceled that cool desert storm show. And um, this goes back. No, this goes back to the war. This comes yeah. back to Wolf Blitzer and the war. And remember that CNN made bank on Operation Desert Storm. Let's face it, because they had something something to do right now. They don't have anything to do. All that. What do they have to do? Maybe Trump, maybe DeSantis and hide for the president. So what has happened here is Chris. Lick has done what he was told, but it is so endemic what's inside there that the the, the natives uh, have just come to his office calling for his head. And that's what happened. How could you? Because they see themselves, the media sees themselves as a liberal defender. They see themselves as the defender of that. They are basically like they're political de- activists. Yeah, they're defense lawyers for the president when his son's in trouble. Think about that. They're running to the microphone, putting the spin on the defense strategy for the president it's rather than covering what is happening to the president. So Chris Lick did what he's supposed to do. And it blew up because there's a lot of people still there that are, as you say, political activists that haven't moved yet. Moving a network under a mandate is really, really hard. It's those damn people. And I think CNN is just a year ahead of Fox. I think Fox is going to be in the same position. I think this is the smartest thing that CNN's done in a long, 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 long time. And let me explain to you why I think it's the smartest thing CNN's done in a long time. Because when you're dealing in media and you're dealing with viewers... The problem is that when you do damage to the viewers, the damage to the viewers is cumulative. So if you start off with a media channel, you've got 100 people watching you, and you upset five of those 100 people, and they leave, you've got 95 people watching you. 
and then you do damage again, you, you lose another five years, you've now got 90 people watching you. And so your market gets smaller and smaller because inevitably in media, you're going to upset people. That's how it works. I think the only way to bring the 10 people that you've lost back and, and more is to do crazy shit that you ordinarily wouldn't do. And I think that that's what they did here. This is, this is something that CNN wouldn't ordinarily do. I think this is something that brought a whole lot of viewers to CNN. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched CNN in years since, since Desert Storm, the Desert Storm <laughs> series. I haven't watched CNN in years. But now I just remembered who CNN were, and I just remembered there was a channel called CNN. And I think it was, I think they were the big winners here. I think they were the big winners in the night. And I think that we need more of the traditional media companies that are falling to do extreme things like this, which they ordinarily wouldn't do, to try and bring back the cumulative views that they've lost. Yeah, I think and if I your objective that that is ratings, it's a, it's a win. But if, you're, uh, if your main priority is being objective, I think it was a loss. Because but this, is not, is, this is not Twitter. Not, not, this not is not objective. Twitter. This is not, Twitter is maybe objective. These guys are after money and sponsorship. Money and sponsorship comes after viewers. And CNN's dying. If you're dying, you do extreme things. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Well, get all it. of mainstream media is dying. Do all of extreme, legacy media is dying. Yeah, so that's my point. With do extreme if, things. If you're looking at, I think, 95% of all cable shows, uh, not, not, are all, as far as most watch shows, are on Fox. So well, if you're CNN, if you're Chris Licht, and you're looking at Fox dominate, and then all of a sudden they let go or whatever happens with Tucker Carlson, and you're like, all right, our number one competitor is now drowning. Half their audience is basically... What? What's the average age of a Fox 65. viewer? Sixty-five, and it might even be older than that. You're desperate. You need to do something. And what's the most desperate move you can do is bring on Donald Trump. You haven't had on your air in five years almost. Or just hire uh, Dylan Mulvaney. Yeah, well, so, yeah that might, might be next. <laughs> but, this is this, the, but now all of a sudden, Rand Noor, all of a sudden is basically watching CNN again when you haven't watched there in years. And how many more Americans are? international audience are doing the same thing i haven't seen this tweet i haven't seen this tweet but i agree with it the first line cnn i think there were two real winners that night cnn and trump that was the big and those are the two big winners for me on on the night of that debate both of them shocked me both of them shocked me cnn shocked me because of what they did and how they owned what they did at the time like mm -hmm. at the time they, they owned it and the other one that, tr that shocked me was Trump. You know, you know who is, you know why they're so scared. So think about why you're scared. You're never scared when somebody perform it, performs shitty. You're like, oh, that was great. The guy was an idiot. Mm -hmm. He looked like a fool. He was like, the only reason you're angry is because he crushed it, right? Only reason. The audience. I can't believe the audience was clapping for him. How dare they clap? How dare they clap for the guy? You know, those are, that's exactly. They got 3.3 million viewers, okay? Uh, most watched cable news uh, uh, network of the night, 780,000 people in the critical 25 to 45 uh, uh, advertising demo. Employees are complaining and bitching. You're in a media space. You're supposed to get eyeballs. That's what your job is. That's like Dana White not making a Conor McGregor fight because Conor will promote proper 12, and all he'll do is increase the valuation of his drink. Who gives a shit? Let him do it anyways. Mm -hmm. This is another reason why DEI and ESG scores cause... CEOs of Fortune 500 companies to make dumb decisions to please a crowd. I think Lick did a great job. Now, if they fired a guy 
Uh, look, we're hiring a new CEO right now. <laughs> but if they, hire, if, they fi- if they fire the guy, if they fire the guy, and he's sitting there saying, "Are you freaking kidding me?" That's the job he's trying to do, and you want to do something like this to him. This is an opportunity for CNN to sit there and right after Fox got a black eye. Facts. Fox got crushed by what they did to Tucker. CNN is now winning. And Everyone's, Dominion. This is a phenomenal opportunity for CNN. They it, should be celebrating. But Anderson Cooper said, I, I understand some of you may never want to watch this network ever again. And I understand why. But shouldn't we see the other side? Shouldn't we give people the opportunity to expose themselves like he just did? Shouldn't we do this? Like, just, just leave but that for, is why. But food for thought. Do you think it could be a Bud Light moment? This is why CNN. This is why CNN no, is on the decline. Cap- great capitalist mm-hmm. moment. I but, think but you see what I'm saying. When they're, of, to- when of course, core I know what CNN you're saying. Viewer yeah. just says, "Okay, we're protesting. We're never watching you again." You're right. It yeah. could be. It, it very, very well could be a Bud Light moment where. You, you know, know what the problem is? You just said that you've just mentioned the whole problem. There's there's momentum inside an organization, and someone went against the momentum of the organization. The problem is, the question is whether the jolt was enough to disrupt the momentum of the organization and insider. Because if right. not, it's like, an, it's like a meteor coming from the earth. Yeah. And the, the direction is down because everyone's pushing down. And what he did was he tried to push them back up. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that Anderson Cooper apologizing and, 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 is just everybody pushing the, 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 the meteor down back to hit the ground. You know what's the biggest difference between this and uh, Bud Light? Bud Light tried to cater to a 0.01% of population. Mm -hmm. Transgender drinking Bud Light. I don't know if I've ever seen, you know, like that just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I'm trans and I drink Bud Light. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. CNN tried to, you know, market to 50% of America, Mm -hmm. which is not a bad strategy to see if they can get those viewers. This job of what Chris Lick did, salute, good job for you. What Bud Light did, that was a yeah. catastrophic And let me just reaffirm move. exactly what you're saying. So if, you're, if you take mainstream media as an example, if you look at every single show, late night show on ABC, NBC, CBS, you go Colbert, you go Fallon, you go Kimmel. They're getting, these are professional all-time comedians. They're getting freaking crushed by who? Greg Gutfeld, who has to read off a script to tell a joke. Why? Because he has 50% of America just tuning into late night Fox Whereas they're just cannibalizing each other. So essentially CNN just took a a, a, a page out of the book of Fox and just say, all right, let's just cater to the, the largest market share. Whereas they let these guys just eat each other. Hmm. And Greg Gutfeld is not funny as Colbert, Kimmel, any of these guys, Fallon, but he's beating them. So, I mean, just It'll look at the numbers. what happens to his ratings once Tucker's gone to see if, like, you know, the tide raises all boats. Let's transition into Bud Light, guys. We've, we've had enough Elon Musk. Honestly, let's give him a break. All right, guys, bring in yeah, some we'll beer here. Let's have happens. a cocktail. So, Bud Light parent company stock <laughs> downgraded by HSBC amid branding crisis. Huge sales drop. This is the Fox Business story. HSBC downgraded Anheuser-Busch and Bev stock to hold, uh, citing a crisis following Bud Light's marketing campaign with uh, transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney. HSBC Carlos LeBoy expressed concerns about the brand's response to, and the significant drop in sales, stating that the way this Bud Light crisis came about raises many questions. Sales of Bud Light in the U.S. plummeted, reaching 1% of the company's global volume in, the, uh, in sales, uh, stating... Uh, uh, in the first three weeks of April, retail sales, store sales of Bud Light also experienced a sharp decline of 21.4% compared to the previous year. In contrast, Coors Light and Miller Light saw sales increase by almost 21%. Exactly. <laughs> same, 
Same percentage, LeBoy questioned the decision-making and risk assessment of ABI's leadership. That's Anheuser-Busch asking, why did its U.S. leadership underestimate the risk of pushback given the recent experience of other firms? Is AB hiring the best people to grow the brands, uh, grow the brands and gauge risk? That's the question. So do you think America, how we are, we forgive, we move on, they're going to do a but wise they're going to do a commercial and we, the, the frogs, frogs are going to make a comeback and we're going to be like you know what man that's just I'm reminiscing I'm, yeah, I want to have a bud life What's forget up? this guy they fired her yeah, right. I'm, do you think we're forgiven or do, do you think this is going to be uh, something that's going to be around for a while yeah, Spuds McKenzie I got to throw that one in there <laughs> going way way back that's a great question I've tried to think about this and I think over the next year it's going to be a big deal uh, I, I think over the long run, as far as the overall parent company, I don't know if it'll make that big of a difference because they have so many other brands. So people, many this people don't even realize. Company. You know, people think that if they're, you know, go from Bud Light over to X Y Z, it might not be Coors, but something else that they're doing damage. But they don't realize they're just going from one of yep. their products to another of their products. I, I don't know that it'll have long-term consequences, but uh, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I think if you look at it as an individual brand, or if you look at it in the company, if you look at it as an individual brand, yeah, this good is a, point. Good this point. is what what matters now is what the competitors do with the opportunity, because mm. now there now there's weakness, now there's 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 something for the taking, and it all depends on how the competitors respond. And I, I don't think the response is in, is in a week or a month. I think, as you say, the response is what happens in in the next year. But I think Patrick's right. I think Americans are very forgiving. So they're forgiving until you break, and I I don't think that I don't think Pat's broken. I think and people just, tend to forget. Yeah. I mean, with, with, I, I with think you. Pat's absolutely right. They're one good commercial away, and about six to twelve months away, people being like, ah, you know what, those Bud Light guys, yeah. what, ah, we're drinking again. Yeah. But at the same time, like the the the. There was two commercials that Dylan Mulvaney did that people that pissed people off. Number one was the March Madness commercial, where basically he, she, it, the, them, whatever he is. Couldn't define what March Madness was. He's like, I think it's something about it. It was just so obnoxious. And the second one that pissed people off was the one in the bathtub. And, and to Rand's credit about his capitalizing, Coors Light did a commercial of a dude just kind of sitting back in his bathtub. Oh, like a How parody. Many yeah, exactly. Yeah, hey. How many dudes are just taking baths? And they called it the best seat in the house. And he's watching a game, kind of like a macho man, watching a basketball game, you know, in his bath. Uh, versus juxtapose that with, her doing her little dance in the bathtub but bud light has been some of the made some of the greatest commercials of all time between the was up yeah rob can't handle this actually i'm glad i don't have my glasses they completely missed the mark on this who approved this (laughs) well we know who approved it it was that one lady basically saying listen for forever bud light was this sort of fratty bro type of brand and we tried to move away from that but it's like that's your market Dudes who drink beer, yeah. not she females yeah. that that drink. I, mean, I could argue beer in bathtubs. I, I could argue the other side too, because you know, uh, if if I have a, if I'm going out, let's say, uh, like as an example, when you came down to Medellin, I think I was drinking old fashions, and I yes, I love old fashions. Drank so it for the last five years, or whatever. but now I was turned on. I don't even know how to uh, um, uh, Don Julio, mm-hmm. Don Julio seventy. And man, that is good. And and now I drink that when I go out. And the old fashions are just 
part of history. So maybe, so, maybe people that go from Bud Light to Coors Light will never ever go back, and they have to rely on the the, the younger people that are coming into drinking age going to Bud Light, mm-hmm. and that will definitely take some time. But it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. Adam's more of a rosé guy. He likes these. Are- <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're buying, I'm drinking. That's the kind of, that's the kind of guy. I mean, I these am. are these are just bad American beers. But the, for branding, I American. America is forgiving, but I think that this one's going to cling for a little bit because the longer this trans thing and what's going on in the election is there, I think that doesn't help them on their effort to bounce back. But there's so much heritage and so much brand equity, as it's called, with Budweiser as a whole. I think there's an opportunity for them to come back. But I do not think that this dialogue and all this controversy on trans is going to help it go away anytime soon. Because you have to remember, you need the controversy to go away. And the longer the controversy is gone, the longer... You know, remember once upon a time, every you know, female football fan in America was upset with Brett Favre because he was sending images and stuff, and everybody was disappointed in him. He wasn't our hero anymore. But the longer it was since that, and his wife had breast cancer, and he got a divorce on her, there was a real schism that was there. But guess what? People get on with that. Longer the controversy is away from you, and the more you just show who you are after that. You're saying you wouldn't exchange a text with Brett Favre today, like you're over it. (laughs) No, I will. uh, uh, I will crazy images. I will quote Charles Barkley, who was talking to Ernie about it, and he said, "I just got one thing to say, Brett. If you're gonna do that." The one rule is, it's got to be ginormous. And Charles Barkley said that. (laughs) And it's like shaking his head, you know. So I I think the longer, I think the trans controversy has got to, you know, kind of normalize a little bit. Yeah. And then that will be away from the brand and the brand can make a comeback. But it's a bonehead move. How would you feel right now going to a pub or going to a party? And holding a bad line. Yeah, so this is what I was going to say. Well, let me tell you something. I mean, just, I just, I mean yeah, yeah. right now, today, you're at a party, you're at a pub, mm. you're at a nightclub, and somebody hands you a free Bud Light. Well, now, is it in a can or is it on draft? Because it's on draft. You're never going to know. It's in a can. It's in a can. How do you feel? No, you don't. How do you okay. feel? People are getting in fist fights when they're drinking cans of Bud Light okay. in a pub. Yeah. This is a serious thing. This is a very good point. I can give you a real world example. Tom, when you were drinking Bud Light in a can at the bar the other day, tell us what happened. Hang on. I'll give you a real world example yesterday. Take my daughter. We go down and see Miami Marlins, you know. And we got standard stadium food. And I noticed that right there, it was just like the pictures you see on social media that I was thinking, maybe they're making that up. They took the picture of the, you know, the, the Bud Light counter, yeah, nobody yeah. standing there. Maybe they took that when it just opened and nobody was there. It was legit. Nobody was standing mm. there. They were over there getting <laughs> Yingling and other beers that were there. But that little Bud Light stand, that poor person can was just you, sitting there no. with a little blue shirt. Come on. And they weren't buying. Rand hit can a nail you? on the head. No dude wants to be at a stadium in a Bud Light line while he's trying to get some Let food. Me ask When's the last time? How many guys wear Adidas? Who wears Adidas? I just, you I like Adidas. Wear Adidas. You, like, you wear Adidas? Yes. <clears throat> okay, you know, Addy, Adidas, Addy, Adolf. Yeah. The founder's name was Adolf. Yeah. And you know what Adidas is linked to? What? You, you're not aware of what Adidas is linked to? I didn't know. If you can tell Nazism, I didn't know that. That's what it's linked to. I thought it was two brothers. One of them was... Well, Puma, but it was, one of it's linked to that when you go to the dark history of Adidas, right? And yeah. then if same goes with Volkswagen. As a young man, he was right? part of the young... So, Volkswagen, yeah. Yeah, but the point is, I mean, if you were Adidas today 
and if you were Volkswagen today, Demi's eventually going to drink Bud Light. Okay. The, yeah. the history tells us. <laughs> That's what I'm asking. Yeah. How, how long? But the how long is, you know, it could be, you know, he said one year. I don't know. Mm. I don't know, one to five years. And, and by the way, the way you do it is the following. Here's what you have to do it. Here's what you have to do. You have to fire the CEO immediately because you have to show everything rises and falls on leadership. This happened under his watch. Agree. You fire the CEO, you fire the CMO, you fire the marketing department, you find a replacement immediately, then you make a statement saying we have to go to a different direction, and here's what we're doing. We brought XYZ from this place. His background's got to be military. His background, because you know the current CEO used to be a CIA agent. No, so different. you got to bring a different kind of a guy that comes in, and maybe you're going to say, hey, I got this guy. He's more, boom, here's a new vision. This is where we're going to be going, and then boom, the rest is history. People move on. So. This happens, but for now, they're going to take a hit. You know, when you look at the stock market uh, curve and you look at how it went up, yeah. up, up, and then you see COVID, yeah. and then you see it goes up yeah. again, this is COVID. This is uh, bad lights, black swan, but if you zoom out yeah. in 100 years, you'll eventually just go so back So what up. you're saying is, if in a week, you get an email, okay, them asking you questions saying, hey, we would like... To sponsor your podcast, would you take it? $100,000 Not a chance. Month. Not a chance. How about 100000 per not, episode? Not for sale. A million an episode. Not for sale. We will let you be the CMO to Linda, the new CEO of Twitter. Would you take it? Not for sale. So you're not going to take anything from Bud Light right now? No. But you will a year from now. Mm, and you were Adidas. Why no, don't you do no, it? And were no, Adidas no, no, I like would a? Need, I would need to see. I, I would need to see what they did. Lifetime supply of Adidas shoes with <laughs> Bud Light, and a brand spanking a Volkswagen would, yeah. parked outside zero to sixty anyway. in ten seconds. I'm just. I'm just thinking about. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a, of a practical. I'm thinking of a practical right. question. And also, you know, can Volkswagen you imagine a guy? Can you imagine any guy walking up to any bartender in any club? Can you imagine how he would order the Bud Light? No, it's like. Just whispering it out there. Well, I won't whisper this. I'll make a public announcement to the CMO of Bud Light. If you want to pay not- me double what you paid Dylan Mulvaney, I'll jump in a bathtub <laughs> fucking right now. But you know what? Yeah. It's just pay me. End. Let's go. And also, Value Tainment is looking for Value Tainment's also looking for a headline sponsor, and uh, they are in talks with three. You said no. there is first space for a fourth. <laughs> now, because gold it, light. It's not a high end. You know, there might be. If this was Hennessy, maybe there's people that would defend Hennessy because yeah. it's a high end beverage, but. Bud Light is not a high-end beverage. To make right. Bud Light, you feed, feed a gallon of water to a horse and put a bucket under the horse, right? That's how you make Bud Light. It's a simple filtering process. <laughs> it's an everyman's beer good. is what you're saying. It's an everyman's beer. Every once in a while, you got a great joke, though. So, guys, let's good. wrap it up. we got good. a couple guys here that know a thing or two about uh, crypto. I want to wrap up with the story on blockchain and get, get, get both your thoughts on it. So it's two stories. One. Uh, Federal Reserve's FedNow will connect with medical with metal blockchain, okay? With metal blockchain. And the other story is going to be about what Goldman Microsoft are doing with blockchain. So first one, FedNow. The Federal Reserve's upcoming instant payment service, FedNow, will be integrated with metal blockchain, allowing metal users to convert funds to stablecoin and vice versa using the FedNow system send and receive function. FedNow is set to launch in July and will enable... Round the clock, near instant payments uh, between banks. Metal blockchain developed by Metalicious, Metalicious uh, offers compliance-friendly options for decentralized finance, DeFi. Developers and emphasizes bank, secure, uh, bank uh, secrecy, act, compliance, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, and I'll give you the other story as well. The other story is Goldman Microsoft 
SIBO, and others team up to launch blockchain's network. This is a Bloomberg story. A group of firms, including Goldman Sachs, Microsoft, Deloitte, SIBO, uh, Global Markets, is teaming up to launch the Canton Network, a blockchain system uh, aimed at linking institutional applications and promoting wider adoption of distributed ledger technology and financial markets. The network offers improved privacy and controls along uh, with scalability and standards suitable for financial institutions. What are your thoughts on these two stories? How do you think the market's going to respond to this? I think both of these stories are on nothing burgers, and I'll tell you why. I'll go through it. So Metal, with all respect to them, known the company or the protocol since since they launched. Back in the day, they launched, and apparently Richard Branson was one of the investors, and they've been looking for an identity since. And I think that this announcement would impress me a lot more if the Fed came out and the Fed said, hey, we are now, we have picked this blockchain provider. So that's my response to the first story. I think it's a, it's a nothing burger. I think regarding the second story, by definition, blockchains are open public ledgers. Otherwise, they're just glorified databases. And they need to be permissionless and not controlled by anyone. And, and that is why Bitcoin has been so successful. And that's why Ethereum is the second most successful because it's permissionless. It's not owned by anyone. It's not controlled by anyone. It's not, it's not um, swayable by anyone. When you're talking about these companies, these are exactly the companies that blockchain is trying to move away from them being controlled. And so, you know, you can make as many announcements as you want, but ultimately let's look at who's going to be using your blockchain and what they're going to be using your blockchain for. Right now, the most used blockchain between, I mean, you have two, two blockchains which are really both being used, which are Bitcoin and Ethereum. And the one thing that makes them both that used is the fact that none of these corporations are, are able to control it, structure it, fund it, finance it. They can use it as equal players as if we use it. And that's the beauty of these things. So I think it's like, this is, both of these stories, for me, aren't, aren't really big stories. I think we'll hear about it here, and I don't think we'll ever hear about these stories again, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I don't follow the, the crypto stuff, the Bitcoin stuff, uh, as much, but I just look at this from the standpoint of a central bank digital currency, which I think is what most people are really worried about right that's now scary. When, when they read about FedNow. And FedNow is basically centralizing uh, the settlement process in the clearinghouse that right now is done by a quasi free market process. So whenever you have centralization of something like that, I don't like it. Uh, but I also want to highlight something that he was saying and using the word ledger, because people need to realize that, that money or let's say currency outside of green pieces of paper really doesn't exist. All it is is a ledger system that says, hey, the bank owes you this much. And so it's like time. You, you, you really can't, all you can do is keep track of it, right? So my point here is when people hear FedNow, they get really freaked out about central bank digital mm -hmm. currency, but they shouldn't, I, I want to make sure that people who value privacy, freedom, liberty, and free market capitalism focus more so on the ledger and less on the currency as far as the central bank digital currency. Because if and I think that we're going into this tough time like we talked about earlier. And I think one of the solutions that they're going to provide so the depositors don't take a haircut is to move your deposits to the Federal Reserve's ledger, right? And when you move all of these deposits to the Fed's ledger, now you have that ledger centralized, including the back-end plumbing, which is FedNow. 
And that, by definition, gives you a central bank digital currency, regardless of what they call it. So right now, when I see Florida uh, banning central bank digital currencies, or I see Ted Cruz in Texas doing the same thing, I think that's great that it's bringing attention. But I'm very concerned that the global elite are using this as a diversionary tactic because they're, they're, they're starting this central bank digital currency fire over here, while at the same time they're creating an environment where you could centralize that ledger and, and people are so focused on that central bank digital currency, they wake mm. up in six months and they're like, how on earth do I have a social mm. score? Off because they the, don't realize that the, the, the fundamentals of a CBDC is moving all those deposits onto one ledger, more centralization. Mm. And that's the first thing that I think about when I see this article. After COVID, the scariest thing in the world for me is a central bank digital currency. Because I don't think people understand the implications of what a central bank digital currency does. And I think for, for those people who are hearing about this for, for the first time or not that au fait with what it actually means. Right now, if you've got dollars in your hand, you can spend those dollars how you wish because there's always going to be a buyer or a, a taker to take those dollars out of your hand. But when there's a central bank digital currency, the government can literally, because it's all digital, they can control where you spend and what you spend and they can cut you off at one point if they own the central, the central hub of the if ledger. If it's on one ledger. If it's on one ledger, one ledger. If it's on one ledger. And that is what they're gearing up for. They're gearing up for central bank digital currency. Now, just, I mean, let's just quickly compare central bank digital currency with what happened with COVID. So during COVID, there were, there were, um, we had to stay at home and there were curfews and you had to be at home past a certain time and you couldn't go in the morning. Now, one way to enforce that is to just say, hey guys, you can't leave. And if you do leave, you better be part of the, uh, um, the essential, the worker essential workers. Oh, I was going to say Gavin Newsom's yeah. uh, private party. Another way, to do it, <laughs> another way to do it is to just cut off your spending and basically say to you, listen, you cannot spend money between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. Cannot spend money. Wherever you go, you will not be able to touch money out of your bank account. That is a very, very, very scary scenario. Let me give you just a practical example. Say you have a baby and your baby needs diapers and you have a little emergency. You go to the store. You want to get yourself a, a set of diapers. You walk into the store. You grab the diapers. You try and pay for the diapers. It says, sorry, the, the government said that you can't spend money between X and Y. Let's take it one step further. Government doesn't want you to re eat red meat anymore. Just doesn't want you to eat too much red meat. You want to go and pay for your steak. They say, sorry, you've had, you've had eight steaks this month. That is the power that we give governments yep. if we get a central bank digital also, currency. I would also add issuing credit based on narrative instead of merit. So as an example, you know, if you take everything onto the one balance sheet, the Fed can't go bust. So they can issue loans. They don't need to be paid back. They could care less. So you don't need to give them a credit score. So what happens is Adam goes down to the local bank. You know, you got to talk to Jerome Powell to get your next mortgage. And they say, hey, you know what? We heard what you said the other day. Yeah. Pat, yeah, that ain't going to happen. Your social score is a negative 10 mm. or whatever. But Dylan Mulvaney goes to Wells Fargo and they're throwing money at him and he's got a 500 credit score. Why? Because he is part of that group that is part of that yeah. political narrative. You see that that woke narrative, mm -hmm. and and that's why having that all those deposits on the same ledger is so crucial for them to implement these Orwellian policies that all of us should be extremely concerned with. But the focus needs to be not so much on the CBDC, but all Which, of those deposits going onto one ledger. That's what people have to push back against. And the good news here is that is currently illegal. If you go to the Fed's website, they say that it is illegal for them to hold accounts of individuals. So we all need to be cognizant of that. So if they try to change that law 
or if they try to circumvent that law, that we can hold them accountable. And that's if, what this hack if, is all about. Who if, would lead the charge in the United States for that to actually be implemented? Well, Jerome Powell is the one that's been speaking about it. So Jerome Powell is the one that has mentioned that they were looking into a, a, digi- a central bank digital currency. By the way, if you think that this, this is very far away, it's not. Like in China, it's happening. In China, they've, they, they, they have been dealing with central bank digital currencies for, for many, many years. And there is a, f- a festival, I think it might even be Chinese New Year, where the idea is that you give a red envelope and inside the red envelope is, is a gift and the gift is a certain, you know, whatever it is. And they actually did a campaign in China where they had a red envelope campaign, but with a CBDC. So that people actually adopt a CBDC to see how much money, that, how many, how much money they've got. And that's an adoption tool. Once people get used to using the central bank digital currency, mm-hmm. you've given the government the ultimate power. And have they already implemented yeah, and, and a social credit score in China? Is that actually they have implemented? Social credit scores in China, but remember, it's not the the central bank digital currency is not yet mass adopted. There is a list. I don't have the website, but there's some website that actually shows a list of all countries and how close or how far they are from being able to to implement a digital currency, a central bank digital currency. What's and at the is, top of the list? Off the, off I think it's China, and I think it, there's like African countries there, like I think Nigeria. And I, I'll, I can check the tweet in, in a second. Yeah, but but really, for me, the, the, the scariest thing is if we get a central bank digital currency, you have got to make sure that as much of your money on the day that that central bank digital currency is a reality, you've got to get as much of your money into a neutral system as possible. But, yeah, unfortunately, I think you're going to have a problem there as well that people really need to be cognizant of. First of all, you know, they, you never let a good crisis go to waste. So if we have a banking crisis, the FDIC comes in, they got $200 billion. Okay, great, there's $18 trillion in deposits. So an easy solution is Jerome Powell riding in on the white horse and saying, hey, move your deposits from Bank of America over to the Fed, and you'll never risk taking a haircut. Done deal. Right? That's what the average Joe's going to say. Going to uh, the point that he was making, which is very, very good, is it, it's, it's, people need to realize it, you can't program money because it doesn't exist, just like you can't program time. Okay, so in order for them to get the data they need to know whether Pat ordered a tofu burger at the restaurant or he ordered a steak, because that's going to go against his climate score, his carbon footprint score for the month, right? They have to have that detailed data, right? So I've been talking to Robert Barnes, uh, the famous lawyer, about this quite a bit, and he thinks that they're going to have the IRS come in and to get your EIN number, you're going to have to use their point of sale software. And so whether you pay with Bitcoin or whatever, they still could uh, attach that purchase to your uh, the algorithm that would still crank out that score. You know, I took some of my employees from Columbia to Disney World because that was on their bucket list, right, this weekend when I was in Orlando. And I, and I don't even know if you know this. I was shocked. I went in there. I bought the ticket. And, you know, in the old days, you just buy the ticket, you give it to the guy, you kind of rip it, and then you'd go through the little spindle or whatever, right? Now what they do is you, you buy the ticket. It's got a QR code on it. You go up to the spindle. You have to stop right there. They take a picture of you. Then you take your QR code. You scan it. Then you give them your fingerprint. You see, now whether they're doing this intentionally or not, the bottom line is they're conditioning people to give their fingerprint wherever they go. Right. And so the central planners, I think, are going to take advantage of this and say, hey, listen, this point of sale software that you're using, in order for me to take your order at Chipotle, just go ahead and give me your fingerprint and you can pay with Bitcoin, silver, gold, dollars. I don't care. 
But then once it goes through your fingerprint, it goes through the IRS. It goes on. I don't to mind that. that. I, I, I don't think know, that. I, I, don't I think, mind that. I don't think that the world should be about tax evasion. And to be honest, like you no, shouldn't... no, no, tax evasion. No, what they're doing is they're doing that in order to get the detailed information as far as what you're buying. Because right now, if you go to Chipotle, mm. your Wells Fargo statement shows that you spent twenty bucks, but it doesn't show exactly what you bought. I don't even mind to be honest if they collect that information about me, like. The, the, like, you don't care if the central planners and the authoritarians have no, that information on each long, and every single American. L- I don't care as long as I control my spend. But if you take that and you take away my ability to control my spend, that's where, where the pit. Like for me, I don't mind record whether I eat too many nachos or tacos or who the hell cares. As long as you don't control my spend, as long as I have the, 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 the right to do whatever I want with my money. But if you take that and you combine it with with ownership of my money and telling me where I can spend. And next time I walk into Chipotle and I want to buy something, it says, sorry, we have deemed for some reason that you can't buy this. That's the part that worries me. Yeah, but that's how they get, that's how they collect the data to yeah. determine whether or not you can buy that in the first place. Rand, you, you sound like somebody they would want as a spokesperson because, you know, for us, when we're not concerned about things like that, everything starts off with, being sold as it's not a big deal. What's the big deal? You know, mm. what's the big deal? You know, it's not a big deal. We're not trying to do anything. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm already doing it anyway. So next and next and yeah. next. Some people would even say, George, just start it with your phone. You pick up your phone and seize your eyes, iPhone, oh, and boom. Absolutely. You know, and then you're you're in it. And so, look, at the end of the day, CBDC is something that a lot of people are concerned with. And it doesn't matter whether they're crypto or not crypto. They're concerned about it. And uh, I think if there's ever been a time for us to stay more paranoid as a collective, today's the time to stay more yeah. paranoid than ever before. Enjoy your life, but stay paranoid because there are some people that have different motives than, uh, I don't than, think, than we do. But I don't think in, the average person understands the implications of a CBDC. I think to them it's just – I think that when the CBDC comes, they're going to disguise it as a gift. You but, want your, but they won't call it a CBDC because it's got too yeah. much negative press. You want your, you They're want just going to call it moving it onto the Fed's yeah. balance sheet. And that guy that's so paranoid about the CBDC is going to say, great, move my account to the Fed's balance sheet. I don't care, but as long yeah. as you don't do a CBDC, and then he's going to wake up six months later, and he's going to have a social credit score. You, you, want your, you, you want your stimulus check? No problem. Let's take the balance in your bank account. Mm-hmm. We'll top it up with $2,500, but you have to now move on to this new, this new spending system and close your account at JP Morgan. The Fed. The, Thank you very much. Yeah, and to be clear, it could be JP Morgan. Morgan's balance sheet. It just yeah. has to be one. It doesn't necessarily they have to be the Fed. You, do, you don't want to hear something interesting just to prove that point about the ledger. Mm-hmm. I went back and did a video the other day on the uh, Bank of Russia. It was called Gaz Bank, and it was there from 1922 to 1991. Okay, and if you read everything it did, it, it's just like reading a, a top ten of what the central planners could do with a central bank digital currency. And I sit there and I ask my audience, and I did this in the presentation, how could they do that? How could they manage credit? How could they know every single transaction that you're doing? How could they basically give you this credit score? They didn't even have computers, right? Why? The reason they could implement that is because everything was on one ledger. And that bank, because it was the only bank in the whole country, the central bank was every single commercial Mm -hmm. bank. And it couldn't go bust. Hmm. Therefore, it could issue that credit based on narrative. Basically, everything that you should be concerned with about a central bank digital currency. And they didn't have a CBDC, but they had one ledger. That's the real devil in this story. 
That's uh, we're at the end of the podcast. This was a great podcast. I think you guys got a friend here. Uh, funding Jim. Good yeah, to yeah. See. Good. He's friend. a very good friend of mine. Five hundred dollar. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, super, super chat. chat. Uh, good friend for Shout many out years. To the funding Jim. on the show. Looking forward to the uh, highest uh, uh, of stakes movie release. True DeFi crypto will rise. Funding Jim Gary Woods. Did you want to put a shout out for the highest uh, oh, of Gary. stakes movie release? Oh, Gary's a good friend. He's down in Medellin. He's part of my my mastermind group. Uh, he's a great guy. Are he's you low key like the next Pablo Escobar <laughs> from America going to Medellin <laughs> to start a new movement, a freedom movement? I like it. We're going to try to spread keep doing that, it, man. Keep doing it. You guys are doing a great job again, Ran. Uh, and uh, George, thanks for coming on. We're going to put the link below to your podcast. If you have to choose one of the two, which one would you rather do, Gammon or the Rebel Capitalist? Uh, Rebel Capitalist. Okay, so let's put Rebel Capitalist at the top as well as uh, Crypto Banter. You guys can find him. It'll be in the chat, in the description, and in the comment section. This has been a blast. Uh, I believe we're doing a podcast again tomorrow. If I'm yes, not we mistaken. are. What You're time is tomorrow's podcast? 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Tomorrow we have Mike Tyson and Michael Francis in the house at mm -hmm. 9 a.m. You just dropped that right in there. <laughs> so Mike and Mike. It's no big Mike deal. Mike and Mike wow. tomorrow yeah. the podcast. We're going to do our we, best not to get knocked out by Mike Tyson tomorrow. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We will see you guys tomorrow morning. Gentlemen, thank you again for coming out. Thanks thank for having you. us. Safe thank travels you. back thank to you. South Africa and Medellin. Thank Take you. care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye.